Our children may be dismissed uh, with our volunteers in the back to Children's Church. For those who remain, they're here in person or on the live stream, I'll invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 2. It's the last book of the Old Testament. We'll be looking at how Malachi addresses the priests in Israel and how he reminds them and us that God is at work in his word. This is God's word, Malachi chapter 2. And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen, If you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them, because you do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will rebuke your offspring and spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, you shall be taken away with it. So shall you know that I have sent this command to you, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace, and I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You have turned aside from the way. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. And so I make you despised and abased before all the people, inasmuch as you do not keep my ways, but show partiality in your instruction. This is God's word. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Almighty God, we read in your word that the grass may wither and the flowers may fade, but your word stands forever. We read that your word goes forth and does not return void. Help us to see afresh and anew how you are at work in your word with power. And that we might be shaped and formed by you through that work, and be used of you to declare the greatness and the glory of our God to all who have ears to hear. Give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, that we might draw near to you and hear your word with humility and awe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the Guinness Book of World Records says that the best-selling book of all time is the Christian Bible. 
And research conducted by the British and Foreign Bible Society in 2021 suggests that the total number of Bibles in the world probably lies between 5 and 7 billion, billion with a B, copies. That's enough for every family in the world to have two or three copies. If they were all those thin line editions, you could stack them on top of one another and get to the moon and back again. It's a lot of Bibles. That's a lot of Scripture. And it's all over the world. Some studies suggest that every household in America has at least one Bible, if not two or three. There are societies dedicated to just translating uh, the Scriptures into the native tongues of various peoples. There are whole networks dedicated to putting the Scriptures in the hands of people. It's everywhere. So if the Word is so prevalent, if the the Word of God is so powerful, if so much of it is out there in the world, why is the world such a mess? What good does it do to have seven billion copies of the Word of God if it's not doing anything? The people of Israel in Malachi's day had grown cynical of the power of God's Word. They had begun to think of it in terms of tradition, in terms of an important part of their heritage, in terms of important guidelines for life, but they had grown cynical that, would, that it could actually change anything. And they are probably not alone in their cynicism. One might wonder if the way we respond to and treat and think of the Word of God, if we too aren't great cynics about whether the Word of God has any power in this world at all. But God raises up the prophet Malachi to declare without qualification, without any uh, nuances or lists of things to consider. He sends the prophet Malachi to declare with power and with clarity that God is at work in his word. So we're going to look at that this morning and see what that might mean for us. And so the first thing I want us to consider is what would happen to us if we pay little attention to God's Word. This is what had happened to the priests in Malachi's day. They, who had been trained in the Word, who knew the Word, whose whole job it was to declare and instruct the people in the Word, they knew the Word of God backwards and forwards, and yet their hearts were far from the Lord. They didn't 
listen to him. They didn't take his word to heart. And God rebukes them in their hypocrisy. And he says something so stark, so unsettling. If you will not listen, then I will send the curse upon you and I will curse your blessing. What a terrible thing to hear from the living God. And yet, when we pay little attention to His Word, we reject the blessing that it is. When we reject the blessings of God, they become as curses to us. Consider how God will rebuke the offspring of the priests. They are going to grow up. They are going to see the hypocrisy of these priests. They are going to see how cynical they think, how cynically they think of the word of God. They are going to see how empty their faith is. What happens when our children grow up and see how what we say we believe about God and about His Word, they see in us that we really don't believe those things. We really don't take them to heart. Children are amazing hypocrisy detectors. And what ought to be a blessing as our children grow up and see us in our weakness, in our frailty, yet clinging to God's word, clinging to him, drawing near to him, taking his word to heart, listening humbly to it. What ought to be a blessing to us and to our children becomes a curse. As they see in our lives that we don't really think it's anything to care about. What makes us think then that they will care about it too. God says he will spread dung on the faces of the priests. This is is a stark metaphor. These priests that are to minister before the people, that are to help them offer their sacrifices to God, God is is basically saying, uh, in your ministry that you think is so powerful and so important and so critical to the cultural development and and traditions of your people, I'm going to expose your hypocrisy to them too. And when you raise your bright faces up and you give these words of instruction, the people will see. They will see that your words are empty, that you yourselves have not taken it to heart, and it will be like you are ministering with dung spread all over your In fact, even their offerings will be a stench of dung to God himself. These offerings that ought to be a blessing, this instruction to the people that ought to be a blessing because they haven't taken any of the things that God has said to them to heart because they have not drawn near to God, because they have not sought him, because they have not stood in awe of him. All of these things that should have been blessings become curses. 
because they hear the word, but it doesn't change them. They become hardened in their ways. These offerings that ought to communicate to them the mercy and grace and greatness of their God become empty ritual, a burden that is wearisome. These things that ought to have been powerful in their lives, God says, no, because you will not listen. I will make them cursed. And if even then you won't listen, I'm going to take you away. Priests, if you won't be faithful, I'm going to remove you and raise up new priests who will listen, who will take my word to heart. Why? Why would God, this eternal, glorious, infinite, and almighty God, was full of compassion, was gracious, was merciful to those in need. Why would he respond with such harshness to his own priests? He tells them, and he tells us in verse 4, so that you shall know, I sent this command to you, so that you shall know my covenant with Levi stands. He wants the priests and he wants us to see that his word is mighty. His word is powerful. His word does accomplish his purposes. And we pay it little mind at our own peril. He will show us that his word stands. He will show us that his word is true. even if he has to spread dung on our faces to get our attention. How are you tempted to pay little attention to God's powerful word? I felt this on my sabbatical. For the first time in many, many, many years, it was, there was no job that I had to know the Bible for. There was no meeting that I had to prepare some word of encouragement for. I had to come to the word just as a person to listen, to take it to heart not just to make it a part of the routine of my job. I know very well how easy it is to devote ourselves to God's Word and yet pay it little mind. How are you tempted to do the same? Is it when you rationalize your sin saying to yourself, no, no, this is what God wants me to do, even when he says quite the opposite? Is it how we distract our hearts with frivolities, worrying more about our streak on Wordle than the Word? It's 
spending more time being formed by news or the algorithm on Facebook or Twitter or our addictions. And we are formed by the God who gives us his holy, righteous word. We pay God's word little mind. It won't be a blessing to us. It will become as a curse. That's not what God intends it to be. So what is it? What is God communicating to us in his word? How would you summarize scripture? What is it for? Is it a list of doctrines that we need to understand and believe? A list of rules that we need to follow? Is it a a history of things that have happened in the world that we should pay heed to? Is it a, a guideline for how to enact laws and culture that will promote human flourishing in the world? Would you summarize Scripture? There are many ways we could do it, perhaps. But the way God does it again and again, even here, is he describes Scripture in terms of covenant, in terms of a relationship. Because it's in Scripture that God reveals himself to us and invites us to draw near to him. This is not an anonymous letter, right? I've gotten anonymous notes before. Some of you have. Right? How do you respond to that? You don't. You put it in the shredder and you don't pay it any mind. God hasn't given us an anonymous letter. It's inviting a response to us. He is showing us who he is. Again and again and again, he rehearses this covenantal promise, the the heart of what is going on throughout. I will be your God and you will be my people. That is relational language. That is covenantal language. He says it here in verse 5, my covenant was one of life and peace. I will be your God. I will give you life. You will have relationship with me that won't be fraught with terror, but will be one of peace. You will walk with me. You will know me. I will be your God. And you, you will be my people. It's a covenant of fear, which he says is all. This reverent worship that you will stand in amazement of me, that you will know my truth, the truth that sets free, that you will walk with God in uprightness and in peace. We will know him and he will know us. And that we will become messengers of that good news. 
That there is a God who made all things, who invites those made in his image to be reconciled to him, to walk with him in peace. Scripture, even the Lord Jesus summarizes it this way, all of it. It's about me. He is the Word made flesh. He came to seek and to save the lost. He offered Himself as the true sacrifice that we might stand before God unburdened by guilt and shame, but knowing that in Christ we are at peace with Him, that we might rejoice in Him, that we might draw near to Him. He announces the good news, the gospel, the Word of God, that is the power of God to save all who believe. God is communicating to us in His Word who He is. He is holy and He is righteous. You you do not presume upon Him. You do not order Him about. He is the great King. And yet, He is full of kindness and grace and mercy. And He is willing to bring healing and redemption even to the most wicked and crooked people. And even here, to priests that have rejected his word, who are just going through the motions, he reminds them what it's all about. That his word is to be a blessing to the world. It is the power of God for the salvation of all who would believe. Are you prone to miss the point of God's word to us in Christ? We all have these legalistic tendencies where we start to think of Scripture as a list of rules that we've got to follow in order that God would accept us. Some of us long for God's word to be far from us so we can pursue all of the things that we really want to do that make us feel good, that give us pleasure, that give us a a feeling of fulfillment, and we don't want God to get into the way no matter how good or wicked those things may be. And in either case, we have turned from God and kept him far away. (laughs) No, God, I can't draw near to you until I earn the right to through my legalistic obedience to your word. No, God, I can't draw near to you until I finally get to indulge all the things that I want to do. I'm just hoping that you'll love me anyway from afar. It's easy to use God's word or to think of God's word as a barrier that keeps us from him when it is quite the opposite. In it, he reveals himself and invites us to draw near. And he has told us in his word, he's done everything necessary that we could do that without fear, in peace, 
and in awe. And what is even more amazing, perhaps, is that not only does he tell us that's what my word is for, but he gives it to us and sends us out into this world to spread the good news. Why? Why would God entrust something so powerful, something so full of blessing, something so glorious to people as frail as us, so prone to wander? Ever seen one of those sign twirlers? You know what I'm talking about? A a business in a strip mall hires a guy to, to... not just hold a sign, but like he does these acrobatic stuff. Like there are YouTube videos and TikTok videos of these guys doing like Olympic level twirling with these signs. It's amazing. I've noticed something about all of these things. I I can't name you a single business that one of those sign twirlers is pointing to. Maybe you can, but for the life of me, I can't think of a single one. I have not ever gone to a business because I was impressed by a sign twirler. I'm still a little bit mystified at the financial incentives to, to have a sign twirler, as entertaining as they may be. God hasn't entrusted his word to us so that we might call attention to ourselves how well we handle it, how good we are with it. God has entrusted his word to us because it reveals his great power and his desire to do his work through it. What is the job of a priest anyway? A priest is called to connect people to God. You see this in verse 7. The lips of a priest should guard knowledge and people should seek instruction from him. Are you in trouble? Does God seem far from you? Have you sinned? Are you weak? Are you afraid? Go find your priest because from him you ought to get words of good instruction about who your God is and what he's done and what he's called you to be. these priests had turned aside from that way. They had corrupted the covenant. They had caused people to stumble with their instruction. They had shown partiality in their instruction, talking about the things that they, they thought would benefit them and not giving the whole counsel of God. They weren't faithful. And the whole nation of Israel suffered. It wasn't just the priests that had to endure the curse. Because of their lack of faithfulness, the whole nation was cursed. More than that, the whole world was. Because Israel was called by God to be a kingdom of priests. Certainly the tribe of Levi were fulfilled the priestly duties within the kingdom of Israel, but Israel as a nation had a priestly duty to be a light to the world. That hasn't changed with the coming of Christ. It's in fact become even more true that God's people in 
Christ are called out to be a kingdom of priests. We, each and every one of us, not just the ministers, not just the elders, all of us have been entrusted with his word that we might be messengers of the good news of who God is and what he's done. That He shows us all of these things in his word and invites us to draw near. We are called to be a people Guard that truth. That that people will seek out with inquiries asking us about the reason for the hope that we have. That we would be light to a world offering not our opinions, not our politics, not our fashion sense, not our wealth, but that we would offer the greatest blessing that we've been given, unchanging, eternal, powerful, good, glorious word of God. That we would announce that there is a life and peace available. That there is good news, salvation for all who come to Christ. Are you a faithful messenger of God's life and peace in Christ? Do you listen humbly to God's word and take it to heart? Are you willing to minister not out of your strength, not picking and choosing the things that that you think are best, Ministering out of your own weakness. Letting God work mightily through his word as his spirit works through you. Do you stand in awe of this glorious calling and this mighty God? Does your life out in the world lead people to ask? Why? Why do you believe this? There's always this temptation for us then to set aside God's word and its power and think in that moment, we've got to say all the right things. I mean, have you ever walked away from a conversation? and Oh, oh, if I'd only said this then, or oh, if I'd only done this, or thinking that we are the sign twirler. What would it look like if we, we just said, Would you like, do I believe this? Would you like to read it with me and see? Would you like to find out? What if what we shared wasn't our own wisdom and our own power? The glorious, mighty, powerful word of God. See, Christ has made you a kingdom of priests to announce good news. He calls you. He charges you with that glorious end. But the power is not in you. God is working in his word. He sends you out as messengers of it. So steep yourself in that word. Take hold of that good news. 
Make it. Live in your heart and life that you might see for yourself and demonstrate to all who see you that God is indeed at work in his word. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us eyes to see afresh the good news that in your word, which holds many doctrines, which holds many laws and commands, it at its heart reveals you, your majesty, your greatness, your work, and invites us to draw near and listen, to take to heart and to follow. Lord, help us to do this. Help us not to reduce your word to a to-do list. Help us not to give little attention to it as if it is just a part of our culture or tradition. Lord, help us to take it to heart. That you might mold us and shape us through it in the likeness and image of Christ. That we might be his messengers, his priests in this world for his glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.